All right, you might have to adjust this because sometimes I talk really loudly, but um, Daniel, thanks for introducing me. If you guys, I, I think we know most of you guys, but if we don't know you, my wife April and I just moved here last year, but if we don't know you, we would love to get to know you. Um, it's really exciting for me to be here right now and to talk or preach for the first time to, to the Aletheia Church. Um, we've built a really strong relationship with most of you, and it's it's been a blessing to say the least, I think, for the past year. But I just wanted to jump right into the topic for today. We read the verses from Proverbs, but the topic or the big picture, I would say, is this idea of God's will. And we we sort of have this question, and we've learned to ask this question in our lives. What is God's will for my life? It comes in different forms. It can come in the form of, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? But it tends to kind of plague our minds, right? It comes comes over and over and over again, especially as circumstances shift and change. We come back to this question. We ask it again. And whether it's you stepping into college for the first time, or maybe you're looking for a spouse, maybe you're um, going to have your first child or your sixth child, whatever it might be, you often come back to the same question. And April and I, can tell you tons of stories in which we've done the same thing, which we've asked this question. One of the most recent stories is how we arrived here in Gainesville. And the story of how we got here began two and a half years before we even got here. So it's a really crazy story. I won't get into the specifics, but in a broad sense, this is what happened. So two and a half years before we come to Gainesville, April, April's a doctor, as Daniel said, and she was applying for a fellowship. So we were pursuing this path for fellowship. And if you're not familiar with that process, you essentially apply to all these hospitals, you go and do interviews there, you rank them, and then they rank you and all the other people they interviewed. And then it goes into some crazy algorithm, and then you're matched with just one place, and then you just go there or not. So we're going through this process, we interviewed at all these places, and we're like, praying this prayer, and we're really excited, and we, we could see how the Lord could work in any of these places, so we're excited to go, and then all the doors shut, and we're like, what in the world? That was, un- that was the last thing we expected. The doors shut, and we end up having to stay in Ohio for an extra year, which is where we moved from, so we stay in Ohio for an extra year, and we weren't expecting it, and we were like, cool, 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 so we'll, we'll do this. We'll stay in Ohio. We, we trust the Lord, and we do all this stuff for the extra year in Ohio. And it's a huge blessing, especially for our marriage, the connection between us, because it was a challenge as well. So then the next year comes around and we go through the same process again, right? So we're like, certainly it's gonna work this time. So we apply to all these places, we go travel everywhere, we do these interviews everywhere, and we are thinking of going to Dallas, Minnesota, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, all sorts of places. We're really excited about this. And then all the doors shut again. And we're like, what in the world? What's going on? Is this not something we're supposed to do? God, what is your will for our life? What do you want us to do? So then our heart and our mind gets set towards maybe going overseas for missions. So we're really excited about that. That's on our, that's on our mind. We're praying about that. We're kind of gearing up to do it. And then out of the blue, out of nowhere, this hospital from Gainesville, Florida, which honestly, I didn't even know Gainesville was a city until last year. So forgive me for that. But the host, this hospital from Gainesville, Florida contacts us and we're like, sweet, so this is random, but we're just going to follow and trust the Lord and we're going to follow the lead. So we follow this lead and we come to this point 
where it seems pretty clear that we're supposed to come here. So we trust the Lord in it. We commit it to him. And we have two specific prayers before. They were really specific. We can talk about it later if you want. But we have two specific prayers before we get to Gainesville. And on the second week we were here, we decided to come to Olathea. And on that first Sunday, both of those prayers were answered in front of Rise. So we were like, what? This is amazing. And since then, there's been crazy, crazy stuff that has happened this past year. We have tons of stories to tell you. So please ask because I like talking. But crazy stuff has happened. But through that whole process, as we came to this question over and over again, we really learned that trust and commitment to the Lord really revolutionizes how we even engage or understand God's will. So that's our that's the idea for today at, at a very base level. So we read those verses from Proverbs 16 verses 1 through 4 and we and those verses kind of reveal a lot that the Lord intends for us in our lives. Um, but Proverbs 16 1 through 4, I've read it so many times I kind of have it memorized so I'll just tell you guys. It says the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. So we're going to jump into these. The, the really exciting thing is that right off the bat, we have this crazy thought that is thrown out. And it's easy because Proverbs kind of jumps around from thought to thought. So it's easy to overlook it. But when you engage with this question of what is God's will for my life, we've kind of learned this process. And the process typically goes, somebody gives you advice when you're struggling with it. They tell you to go and pray about it, right? So you go, you pray about it. And this time of prayer or what we like to call waiting, this time of waiting is, it tends to be filled with confusion or maybe even complacency to an extent or apathy, God forbid, apathy or Maybe even you're binge watching Netflix the whole time. Whatever it might be, you have this time of waiting and ultimately frustration just builds up in your heart and you, you don't really know what's going on and, and you haven't gotten a clear answer from the Lord, right? Our desires are to, to gain clarity from the Lord in these things when we pray that prayer. But I don't think this is the best way for us to go about it, right? So in right off the bat in Proverbs 16, verse 1, in the first half, it says a revolutionary phrase that we shouldn't gloss over. It says the plans of the heart belong to man. So point number one is that while we've learned to strive and strive to make God's plans our plans, maybe in fact our plans are God's plans. So I don't want you to gloss over that. Maybe our plans are actually God's plans. What I mean by that, let me break it down. I mean that God's will has already been revealed on this earth and to us, and we've already been designed to fulfill it. So there's two things that you have to remember as, as you walk about your daily life and you strive to fulfill this, this thing that God has already revealed to you. One is that we have all been created with purpose. We've been created with great purpose. And two, we've all, God has given us all a place. So number one, this purpose that's been created in us, if you haven't read Psalm 139, I would highly recommend it. You should go home and read it today, but it's a beautiful psalm. And in Psalm 139, there's just, just exquisite detail of what the Lord does in regards to us in our lives and how we can go nowhere from his presence. But one of the cooler parts of Psalm 139 is the fact that the fact that 
the Lord has knit us together in our mother's womb. He's woven us together. He's formed our inward parts, it says. Even in Psalm 139, it also says that before a word is even on our tongue, he knows it all together. It says he's before us, behind us, he's in us, he's everywhere. So this is the baseline for all of us here as you, as you believe in the Lord, right? So you have this baseline in Psalm 139. And then you have this idea of purpose. What is God's purpose then? If he's designed us to fulfill this purpose, what is this grand purpose? So Aletheia actually had this opportunity um, earlier this year. So actually, Daniel, shout out to Daniel. Daniel helped me a lot with this message. And one of the things he told me was that I talk really fast and I should slow my speech. So I'm going to kind of slow it down so you guys can maybe keep up. But <laughs> so, okay, so Aletheia, this great opportunity, right? This past year, um, this past spring semester to host Perspectives. I don't know if you guys know that class, but Perspectives is actually a class in, in which you um, go through God's word. It's a college level course. You go through God's word. And then the second half is talking about how you implement what God established in his word. So a lot of us went through the class successfully or maybe not successfully, but it was a big blessing. And we all had many minor and major revelations, I would say, during the class. But one of the bigger ones was in lesson number three. So lesson number three, we had this, this awesome guy, Grant, come and talk to us. And in lesson three, he did this whole, he made this huge Venn diagram, and his subject is the, the kingdom of God. So this Venn diagram, he set it up two big circles. On one side, you have the kingdom of God. On the other side, you have the kingdom of the earth. And in the center was Jesus Christ and the cross that sort of brought one into the other. So we, we started filling out this Venn diagram, all the dichotomies you can think of. There's the spirit in the kingdom of God and the flesh in the kingdom of the earth. In the kingdom of God, there's healing. In the kingdom of the earth, there's sickness. And we can relate to that because of the virus that shall not be named. So in the kingdom of God, you have salvation. In the kingdom of the earth, you have condemnation. So you have all these things set up. There's good and evil. There's light and darkness, whatever it might be. And we just fill this out when we had all these words everywhere, dozens and dozens of words, right? So we fill this guy out, and then we start talking about the gospel. And we say, what is the gospel? And in a basic sense, we learn and all of us responded that the gospel is the fact that Jesus Christ is Savior, right? That's a, that's a very short version of what the gospel is. But as we looked at this, we realized that word Savior only relates to a few words in the kingdom of God, right? It, it related to salvation. It related to forgiveness. So one of the revolutionary thoughts was that more than Jesus Christ being just Savior, Maybe the gospel is the fact that Jesus Christ is king. So he's king over all these things. He's king over sickness. He's king over depression. He's king over darkness. He's king over all, all manner of things on this earth. And the purpose he's given us, the purpose that he's put in our hearts, is to bring that kingdom and display it here on this earth. Like If you, if you know God's the, or the Lord's prayer in Matthew chapter 6, it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. So now we have this, we have this great truth that we've been intricately, intricately created, and we've been woven together and knit together in our mother's womb, and then we've been given this grand purpose of displaying the kingdom of God on this earth. So that's an exciting prospect. 
And that's, that's just that God has given us a purpose. And second, God has given us a place. In Acts 17, we talked about this earlier. God's given us this place. In Acts 17, it says, God has placed every man in the proper place and the proper time. So that means you sitting right here on a warm, almost hot Gainesville Sunday morning at this time is, is deigned by God. It's ordained by him. He's made it happen. This is intentional. So you're not in the wrong place right now, and nor will you ever be in the wrong place. So God has given us a grand purpose. God has given us a place. And that should really excite you because that means that Proverbs 16 verse 1 is true. That means that the plans of the heart belong to man. That means that you're able to own the plans of your heart, to be excited about the things that stir up in your heart, to be excited and pursue them and to trust in the Lord. And this, although it should be an encouragement to you, this might also be frightening because this means that you ha- you also have a responsibility for the plans of your heart. To whatever's stirring up in your heart, you have a responsibility towards those things. But the Lord knows that because right off the bat, we we kind of transition our thought or we transition the tone of the passage. So you see that the plans of the heart belong to man, but the Lord knows that, Vinay, your heart is kind of fickle and your words aren't perfect always. Your wife can attest to that. And there's things wrong about you, but he reminds us right off the bat, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And then it says, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. So we have this great assurance. And point number two is that we can trust in him. And when we trust in the Lord, our plans are transformed. So this this verse here, um, verse two, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. This verse led me directly to Jeremiah chapter 17. So Jeremiah 17, if you're not familiar, it says, Jeremiah 17 verse nine says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And then we have this encouragement that says, I, the Lord, I, the Lord, know the heart and search the heart and test the mind to give to every man according to his deeds. So you have this powerful parallel verse. And if you're not familiar with Jeremiah, Jeremiah is a prophet. So a little bit of background, because I want I, I enjoy bringing the word as a whole into into whatever message or sermon I'm speaking. So a little bit of background. Jeremiah is a prophet. So you have the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, if you don't know, and the nation of Israel, they're the OGs. So they're the ones who are originally asked to display God's kingdom on this earth, right? So now that's been extended to us. So you should be excited about that. But Israel didn't really do the best job. And obviously, we don't really do the best job of this purpose, right? But Israel was originally asked to do this. And they end up sinning and doing all sorts of stuff. And at one point, the nation even divides. A piece of the nation comes out, Judah. And then there's the the nation of Israel. So they kind of divide. There's division. There's discord. But God always sends these prophets to them. And the prophets are meant to explain his word, essentially, explain what he's thinking and what he desires. So Jeremiah comes in the scene near the latter part. So they actually, Israel gets so bad that they eventually even just fall into captivity. The verses from Isaiah we read, they, one part falls to Assyria, which is another nation, and, and another part falls to Babylon. So Jeremiah is coming into the scene near the end of this. 
And he's kind of, he's telling them, hey guys, look, the heart is deceitful above all else. It's desperately wicked. Only the Lord can search the heart and test the mind. And people actually miss the lead up to this. The lead up to this verse is really exciting because it reveals so much more about that truth, that the heart is deceitful. The lead up to the verse, sorry, Jeremiah 17, I don't have these ones memorized, but Jeremiah 17 verse 5, it, it leads up, it gives you a red pill and a blue pill and option one and option two. So in Jeremiah 17, 5, it says, option one, curse is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Yikes. So option one sucks. Option two, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. And then we get into that verse, the heart is deceitful above all else, but the Lord searches the heart. You can be encouraged that he's going to search your heart, especially if you cry out to him. In Psalm 139, it says that if you cry out to the Lord, he'll search your heart, he'll test your mind, he'll reveal things, he'll remove them. But in of anything that you're learning from this passage, there's a lot to talk about in this passage in Jeremiah. I just wanted you to recognize one thing, that trust really transforms your identity. Trust transforms your core. So every, every morning we're out here and we've, we've been doing church out here, I actually take a moment to look at this beautiful tree right here. And I've talked to, it might be kind of weird, but bear with me. We, I've, I've talked to some people about this, but I, I look at this tree and I'm like, this guy should be straight. If you ignore like all the stuff happening down here, this guy looks like it, it would be in Tarzan. Like it's straight out of the Amazon and you should be seeing monkeys run across it. And then Tarzan like slides ac across the branches. And it's amazing, it's beautiful, right? So uh, it's obvious that if I took this tree I plucked it up and I put it in a desert. This guy, this guy's going to die, right? That's, that's pretty obvious. So that aspect of trust is really clear that if we don't trust in the Lord, we kind of just wither and die. But in Jeremiah 17, we're learning this whole new thing that it's not just that you wither and die, but the truth is that when you don't place your trust in the Lord, instead of a magnificent tree, you're now a shrub. So... Instead of a tree, you've satisfied living life like a shrub. And God says, no, I don't want no shrubs, right? <laughs> nice. Okay, I was, I, was wondering if people, <laughs> I was wondering if people would get that. <laughs> nice, I'm not too old. <laughs> okay, sweet. But anyways, you've settled. You've been designed to be this beautiful, magnificent tree that Tarzan could slide across and that has so much stuff, but you've relegated yourself to being just a shrub, that's, that should be shocking to you, right? And the very thing, the only thing that transforms this is trusting in the Lord. It's just one thing, such a simple concept, right? So when we come back to this big question that we started off with, what is God's will for my life? Maybe in those moments when we keep asking those questions over and over and over again, maybe God, rather than trying to give us clarity, maybe he's actually trying to build trust in our hearts, right? And maybe in a bigger sense, maybe from our perspective, more than desiring clarity or whatever it might be, 
maybe we actually desire to trust the Lord more. So maybe your prayer should just shift a little bit and realize maybe I'm not trusting God in this. Maybe I need to trust him more. Lord, search my heart, know my heart, test my mind, make me, teach me to trust you more. And that should be really exciting for you to pursue, right? So just a quick recap. Point number one is the truth that our plans are actually God's plans. God's designed us with purpose. God's designed us and put us in a place and he's given us autonomy within his kingdom. This, this guy right here is your guidebook. He's given us autonomy as long as it aligns with the word that we're able to just pursue the plans of our heart, that, that we can own the plans of our heart, right? The plans of the heart belong to man. And point number two was that when we place our trust in him, our plans are completely transformed. We see that in Proverbs 16, verse three. It says that, it says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. So we see this great truth that trusting in him transforms our plans completely. It completely transforms our identity and the core of who we are. And that should really excite you. But as you transition, there's a lot of depth to that verse, Proverbs 16. And, and you may have heard it in, in many places, but there's a lot of depth to the verse of commit your work to the Lord and your plans would be established. And as, as we transition, there's there's more, really. And point number three is the fact that trusting in him leads to him supporting you. So if you trust in the Lord, he will support you. So that might be, I might be throwing that out quick there because that's a really powerful statement right there. Um, Daniel actually let, pointed out this piece of scripture to me, and I just went in and I studied it, and I was really exciting. But in 2 Chronicles 16, you have this powerful, powerful story of the King Asa. So King Asa is a king of Judah. So remember, at this point, Israel and Judah have, there's division, and there's actually warring now, and they're, they're brothers, right? So there's warring between the nations, and Asa is king of Judah. So he comes into the scene, and he's the son of the son of the son of the son of King David. So he's not that far removed from David, right? So he, who we all know and love, but King Asa comes into the scene and his father and his, his father who was king and his mother, they kind of deal treacherously with, with Israel. They lead them astray. They set up pillars and altars and all sorts of stuff, idols, and they just lead Israel away from trusting in the Lord, right? So Asa comes into the scene and he's like, nope, this is not going to happen. And he goes in and he tears down idols. He tears down the altars. He tears down the pillars. He takes them, and he takes them to this place called the Brook Kidron, and that's a valley just in Jerusalem, just below the temple. So it's in between the temple and Jerusalem, I think. Or no, that doesn't make sense. It's below, it's it's next to the temple. So this Brook Kidron, he takes all this stuff. He takes idols. He takes pillars and altars. He crushes them up. He cuts them into pieces. He breaks them and then he burns them. And that's, that's his heart for the Lord, right? He's trusting in the Lord. He's like, this, this nation is for you, God. So he goes, in, he goes into the scene and he's cleansing all manner of evil. And this Brook Kidron actually comes back and back in the Bible over and over again. And it represents this valley of destruction and a valley in which there's sanctification and cleansing and cleaning and pain that's removed. So it becomes a symbol of that. So Asa really, really trusts in the Lord, and it's put to the test. So 
at one point in Second Chronicles, I think it's in 15, an army gathers up against the kingdom of Judah. So this army is a million men, which I can't, well, I can sort of imagine because we were, we used to live in Cleveland and I went to LeBron's like, when they won the finals, I went to the like parade and it was like 2 million plus people. And I was like, this is insane. So I can imagine what a million men might look like, but this army of a million men gather against the kingdom of Judah and Asa just cries out to the Lord and he just depends on the Lord and he asks the Lord for help. And Asa's army is just a fraction of the size, but they're just able to completely defeat this army of a million men. So Asa has a huge heart, but we also see a little bit turn of his heart in Second Chronicles and he, he sort, of, sort of shifts it away. So when he starts shifting away, the Lord sends a prophet again and the prophet's name is Hanani. And, and Hanani, I believe that's how you say it, he comes into the picture and he starts revealing things to Asa. So he says this crazy, crazy phrase or a crazy, crazy truth in 2 Chronicles 16 verses 9 and 10 or 8 and 9. So he, he reminds Asa of this battle that he won. And he said, because you rely, relied on the Lord, he gave them over into your hand. And then he says, for the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro throughout the earth looking for someone to give strong support. And that should blow your minds right there. The eyes of the Lord are going to and fro on the earth, looking for someone to get, give strong support to, to those whose heart is blameless towards him. So if we circle back to that big question we asked, we've learned and learned and learned over and over again to strive and strive to support God in his plans. But right here, we're learning that God is striving to support us in our plans. So this should give you a, a great empowerment and a great encouragement in life that God has strived and strived to support you in your plans. And if you put your trust in him, if your heart in him and your heart is blameless towards him, your heart is whole. And remember, he'll work on your heart. So that's easily done. And he's already worked on your heart, which we'll get to you. But if you, if you trust in him, there's no limit really to what your plans and what you can accomplish for the Lord. And you don't really have boundaries of what you can do. You're in the proper place. He's given you purpose. He's filled your heart. And that should really excite you. And that, that leads us to the final verse. And the final verse kind of is encompassed in all of this that we've talked about. It says that the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. So in this final verse, we have this, this great revelation that the Lord is sovereign, right? We just, we just sang this song, song that he's sovereign, even in periods of unknowing for us or uh, with a lack of clarity, he's sovereign over it all. But this, April and I have been reading through Matthew over the past two years or so, and we're finally in the final chapters, which is exciting. But we were just recently in Matthew chapter 26. This, this verse led me to Matthew 26 because it's the perfect example of, it, of this. The perfect example of all of this is the person of Jesus Christ, right? In Matthew 26, you have this uh, awesome story. It's the last days of Jesus' Jesus's life on this earth. And at the beginning of the chapter, you have these chief priests and you have these elders getting together, the Jewish chief priests and elders getting together and they're plotting, and they're conniving, and they're trying to figure out a way to in stealth capture Jesus and convince people to murder him. 
So Jesus had done nothing wrong at this time besides offend them, which that could that relates a lot to our current condition because offense offending someone is a big deal nowadays and it always has been as we can see but Jesus had done nothing wrong but these guys hate him because he offends them because he speaks the truth so they're conniving they're plotting and these wicked men the wicked are creating plans to defeat and and kill Jesus Christ so in Proverbs 1 it actually says that the wicked don't realize that they're setting a trap for themselves. So these guys didn't realize they were setting their own trap, right? They set the stage for the very thing that would bring salvation and grace and bring this explosion of mercy and grace onto us. So they were setting the stage themselves. Even the wicked is made for their purpose, right? So the Lord is sovereign over that. And then if you continue through that passage in in, uh, Matthew 26, you come to this point where you see the plans of the righteous on the other hand. So the wicked had their plans. It was for its purpose. And then the plans of the righteous come into into the picture. You see Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes into the picture and he knows exactly what God's will is. He knows exactly what's ahead of him. And he begins praying because he's committing it to, to the heavenly father. So he's praying. And in Matthew, we see that he prays over and over again. He's committing it, committing him and trusting the heavenly father in that instance. And in John, we actually see that he commit, he's committing so hard that his sweat is like drops of blood. That's, that's how much pain or anxiety he has as he, or maybe not anxiety, but that's how much he's committing, how deeply he's committing to the Lord. So, so the Christ is praying this prayer over and over. And then like in an instant in Matthew 26, it says he gets up and he goes to the disciples and he says, rise. And and he says this phrase, rise. April and I underline this because it's crazy. He says, rise. And in an instant, he's ready to go. You know, he's not running away, but he's like, it's time to go. Let's go. Like we're doing this, you know? So he has that clarity that we all strive for. So um, we, yeah, so he has that, that clarity that we all strive for. And there's actually this, this excerpt that should encourage us. It's from this book that I read. Um, or I've read portions of, haven't finished it, but it's a book by this guy, Brennan Manning, called Ruthless Trust. And the Lord, he just commits his life, and and the way that trust works really just opens up our heart to accomplish great things. And in this book, there's this excerpt, and it says, when the brilliant ethicist John Kavanaugh, I'm just going to read this out straight. It says, when the brilliant ethicist John Kavanaugh went to work for three months at the House of the Dying in Calcutta, He was seeking a clear answer as to how best to spend the rest of his life. On the first morning there, he met Mother Teresa. She asked, and what can I do for you? Kavanaugh asked her to pray for him. She said, what do you want me to pray for? She asked, she asked to him, and he voiced the request that he had borne thousands of miles from the United States, pray that I have clarity. She said firmly to that, no, I will not do that. When he asked her why, she said, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. When Kavanaugh commented that she always seemed to have the clarity he longed for, she laughed and said, I never have had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. So this, I, this battle between clarity and trust, we see it in Christ's relationship as well. He wasn't seeking for clarity. He was just committing and trusting in the Lord. And when he was ready, he said, he just said, rise, let's go. 
and there's this crazy, crazy revelation in John chapter 18. In that moment, he rises up, and in John 18, verse 1, it says, he stepped and went into the brook Kidron. So I don't know if you remember it, right? The brook Kidron, the valley of destruction, the place where idols would be taken, where pillars would be taken, where altars would be taken, broken up, destroyed. He carried those things for us. He took our sin into the brook Kidron. So it should really excite you to follow a God who, who is trustworthy. He's proven his trust to us, and it should excite you to do that. And it should excite you because he's infused you with a purpose. He's infused you with a plan. And he's given you everything you need to fulfill his, his purpose on this earth, to bring the kingdom of God down to this earth. So that's your goal. That's your plan. I hope as we go out in this week, we just strive and desire to display the, whatever we do, that we desire to display the kingdom of God on this earth so that others would know it and others would believe in it. Um, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this, this awesome opportunity to look into your word and to look into truth. I thank you so much for um, just your kindness and your love and your deep, deep intentionality towards us. As we strive to pursue you, Lord, we, we realize that above all that you pursue us, Lord, that you support us in our plans, that our plans are actually your plan. You've already ordained it. You've already been sovereign over it, and we're excited to do things for your kingdom on this earth, Lord. We pray that you infuse us to do that, and we pray above all that you allow us to remember um, to trust in you, remember who you are, remember what you've done, remember um, how you suffered on the cross for us so that we might be able to even know these truths and even know the mysterious things that you've ordained um, on this earth, Lord. We're excited to live for you. We pray that you just infuse us as a family to do it powerfully here in Gainesville and even to the ends of the earth, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.